We read the Holy Scriptures together tonight in the Old Testament prophecy of Zephaniah, chapter 3. Zephaniah is the the fourth to the last book in the Old Testament. So if you go back from Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and before that, Zephaniah. Zephaniah tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that he prophesies during the days of Josiah, who was the last God-fearing king in Judah, so roughly 25 years or so before Judah is destroyed by Babylon, carried captive. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah. In his prophecy, he speaks of the apostasy and the wickedness of the people of God at that time. And verses 1 through 7 is going to be a summary of verses 1 and 2. And really you come to the heart of the apostasy of God's people in verse 2 of chapter 3. She obeyed not the voice. She received not corruption. Zephaniah in his prophecy Uh, constantly speaks of the day of the Lord. And that will be the case in the third chapter. So whenever we read in the third chapter the words, in that day, then, at that time, he's referring to the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, we may simply suffice to say, is the day of Jesus. It's the coming, the fulfillment of Christ, the return figuratively in the Old Testament, the return from Babylon, but the day of the church's redemption, complete and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we read the third chapter. Our text will be the verses 16 and 17, and the first seven verses will be the summary of their sin. Verse 8 will be the uh, judgment that will come upon nations, and then verse 9 through the end of the chapter, Jehovah will speak his precious promises to us, his church. Zephaniah chapter 3, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not corruption, correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. <clears throat> Her princes within her are roaring lions, her judges as evening wolves. They gnaw not the bone till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations, their towers are desolate. I have made their streets waste, and none passes by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, surely, thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction. So their dwelling should not be cut off, however I punish them. But they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey for my determination 
is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people of a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offerings. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. May God sanctify his word to our hearts. Our text, as I said, are the verses 16 and 17. And let's read those one more time. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, these are some of the most beautiful words from God that you will ever hear on this side of the grave. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he was caught up to the third heaven and there he heard words 
glorious words, too great to be understood and not lawful for him to speak. We will hear glorious words from God in heaven, but until then, you will not hear more precious words from his lips than these. He says, not only that he will save us, but he says tonight that he sings over us. He sings over his church out of joy. He sings over this church in joy, wherever his church is established in his word and truth. He sings over them. He says that when he thinks of you, he breaks forth in joy and in song into singing. I saw this verse maybe 18 to 20 years ago in an old church. It was on a pedestal encased in glass and the Bible was turned to these verses It was in the narthex of the church, and it impressed me how correct, how appropriate for such words to be before our eyes when we enter into the sanctuary and when we come to church to worship. We come to church to worship, we know, to praise Him, but we ought also to be aware that when we come to church, He sings in joy through Christ over us. He's singing right now over his church. And I thought that this would be a very fitting word for us to hear and to bring to us tonight as God has led us through many heartaches and many trials and many testings as a denomination and as individual churches in our denomination that we must be reminded that we must always look at the church of which we are a member through the lens of God's heart and not through the lens of our own eyes or the eyes of men. My father, a man of few words, would tell me as his son to always be careful of my attitude toward the church of God. He was not justifying failure. He was not justifying sin and the need of correction. But he was emphasizing to me that I must love the church that God loves. That I must love the congregation, this congregation over which he has set his eternal love. He was saying to me that I cannot love God and hate his church that I cannot love Jesus Christ without at the same time loving those redeemed in his blood. Now the verse that is before us tonight is a very striking verse and perhaps you were not aware of it or we were not aware of this verse as we ought to be aware of it and have never really thought about it. What does it mean that God sings over his church and people? This verse is unique in all of Scripture. In all of the 66 books of the Bible, there is only one verse that I'm aware of that says that God sings, and there's only one object over which he sings, and that's his church. We sang from Psalm 149 that the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He rejoices in his people. 
He calls us Hepzibah, my delight. He chooses out names of endearment, Beulah, Jeshuan, beloved in Christ. We sing in the Psalter, Zion, we are his joy and treasure. But there's just this verse that says that he rejoices over us in joy, and in joy he sings. It's a very humbling verse. He sings over us. He sings over me. He sings over people like us. Yes, Jehovah sings over his church and people in Christ. And then, it is unique in that we should, perhaps not a unique, but we should look a moment at the structure of the verse and we should see that the singing, which is the focus of the sermon, he sings over us, we should see that the singing there is climatic. And it's something like the Apostles' Creed, when we confess the glorification of our Savior, the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God, and he comes in judgment, all rising in glory, We have something very similar here. We read, He will save. What could be greater? He will rejoice over thee with joy. Greater yet. What could be greater? He will rest in his love. He will find contentment in his own self that he loves us, the church. Could there be anything greater than that? He will joy over thee with singing. So I call your attention tonight to these words, he will joy over you with singing. And let's see that this is an amazing song, that this is salvation's song, and that this is a wedding or a love song, or it is the covenant song that God sings. Listen to the words. He will joy over thee. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. This song that God sings within himself arises out of the joy that he has in his heart over his church in Jesus Christ. And the singing is the expression of the joy of his own heart in his church. This song is not a lament. This song is not a sad song. This song is not a war song. It's not a song that calls to courage in battle. But it is a song of joy. It is a song that arises out of the very being of God as he has delight, as he has pleasure, in his church. And therefore it is a song that God sings as we also then by grace sing. He sings with heart and with soul and with all of his being. There's a similar verse that we find in Jeremiah, similar to our text, that we find in Jeremiah chapter 32 where God is also making precious covenant promises of gathering his church out of all countries, of telling us that we 
he shall be our God and we shall be his people and that he will give us one heart and one way and that he will make an everlasting covenant to do good unto us. And then he says in verse 42 of Jeremiah, verse 41 rather of Jeremiah 32, yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. That's anthropomorphism. Human characteristics attributed to God, heart and soul. It simply means that with His being, with His holy, perfect, glorious, righteous, just being, His heart erupts in joy over His church as the pure and holy God in His inmost self. When He sees the church, He's moved to sing. This tells us the source of the Lord's joy in Himself and what He will do. We respond in song to His song. And our words are not unto us, not unto us, but unto Thy name give praise. Do we respond to this truth that God sings over us with the words Well, of course, he sings over me. Of course, he sings over us. Look at us. We have two worship services well attended. We have the Reformed and biblical faith, certainly in comparison to other Christians and to other churches, he would sing over us. Is that how we respond? then we need to remember what he said to us in verse 11 of the chapter. In that day, then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. In Zephaniah's day, they said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are we. We are, after all, the church. There's something about us. No, not unto us. He shows us where his joy comes from. It comes from his own grace. You may read the lyrics, the words of his song. He has written them out. You may turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and you will find the lyrics of Jehovah's song in which he sings to the praise of the glory of his grace in which each member, each person of the Holy Trinity is praised for that work of grace and the free choosing of the church and the redemption of the church, our redemption in the blood of his Son in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit His joy finds its roots in His own grace through Jesus Christ unto a people, a church that He has chosen of grace. And therefore, that's why those who love the doctrines of sovereign grace love the church because the love of God for the church is resting 
in God's grace. We may put it this way, all God's love and all God's grace and all God's saving mercy converge on the church in Jesus Christ. And yet this is amazing. He sings in the joy of his heart over me, over us, the holy God. We might say, Pastor, yet you somewhere made a mistake here. Does he not see what's under the surface in us? Is perhaps the meaning of the text that is speaking about that one holy Catholic church assembled tonight, glorified before his throne and without sin? Is he singing about them? Oh, he's certainly singing about them. What he's singing about the church militant. There can be no mistake about that. Verse 12, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the Lord. Well, then, is he perhaps singing of the church in its most glorious moments? Is his eye upon the martyrs? Is, he, is his eye upon those who for their testimony suffered being burnt at the stake? Is he thinking of the Reformation and the, the, in those days? Is that what's in his eyes? Is he thinking perhaps today of the church persecuted in India and in Myanmar and in North Korea and being put to death? Is he singing over them? Yes, he is. But he's singing here. Verse 15. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He has cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. He sings over the church because of his grace and the work of his grace through Jesus Christ. And he sees the church in Jesus Christ. And he sings. And we hear the song. I said that we know where the lyrics are written. But we hear him sing. Jehovah's singing is heard in the preaching of the pure gospel of grace. When we hear the scriptures, the very word of God, the very counsel of God, when we hear those scriptures open to us, and when we hear the sermons according to the entire truths of Holy Scripture preached to us, we are hearing the song that God sings to his people of grace. And that's why, that's why the preaching of the word of God in its truth must be kept in our congregation. Psalm 89, verse 15, Blessed is the people who hear the joyful sound. They shall walk in the light of thy countenance. If we peer down just a little bit to verses 18 and 19, we see that God describes the church over whom he sings. And he describes it in a number of different ways. He describes it as he has given to them a love for worship and as he has given to us that we are burdened 
over the church's troubles and woes. Verse 18, I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. He speaks of the people of God who are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. And they're sorrowful, Zephaniah's day, they're sorrowful for these solemn assemblies because they're not being held. They can't be held. They're going to be in captivity. The aspects of worship are not possible. And when worship is not possible, they grieve. He sings over his church in whom he has lit the flame of the desire to worship him in spirit and truth. Is that us? By his grace. He also sings over his church, which is burdened. Burdened over Zion's troubles. Afflicted by those troubles. Deeply burdened in their hearts over Zion's troubles. So he does not sing over the church when the church and the members of the church and to the church that worship, according to the word of God, is a drag and they have to drag themselves to the church. He does not sing over those who are not troubled when the church is troubled and are more like the children of Edom. Let it be raised to the ground, destroy Jerusalem. He sings over those in whom his grace is working that they love the church. They love the worship of the church. It is their heart's desire to join as a congregation to worship the Lord. Those who love the church and grieve in her woes and troubles and pray for her. So in short, he sings over the church because he sees his grace in her, in us. And over the church in whom, listen carefully, in whom his grace is seen. He sings over the church because he sees his grace in Christ there and his grace being seen in them, in their lives, evident, operating in a love for the church, a love for her worship, a love for her name, a love for her members, a love for her truth, a love for her cause. He sings over you. And now, get the argument of the text. The argument of the text is, therefore, fear thou not, verse 16, and to Zion let not thy hands be slack. The argument is, if he so rejoices in us, then let us not be seized with fear. Let us not be seized with dread. Let us not be so dismayed of the work of the church that our hands become slack to our sides. Let us not fear anything. Let us not fear the future, trusting in him alone. Let us not fear the enemies that come against the church. Let us not fear that our struggles and our heartaches are going to destroy us. Fear zaps our strength. Fear incapacitates us for the work in the kingdom of God. Instead, if he sings over us, let us be steadfast, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, confident in the Lord that he dwells among us. And let us serve him. Nehemiah 8, verse 10, familiar words. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jehovah's joy in himself over his church is our strength. As elders and pastors and deacons, fear not. Be strong. Be strong in his word. As parents, don't be afraid. Don't, be, don't believe it's impossible. In your marriage, don't say that. That it cannot be repaired. Don't say it's nearly impossible to raise godly, godly children in this evil culture. In the work in our schools, let us not be dismayed. Let us not fear. Let us go forward. In our life as young people and young adults, let us be courageous and let the strength in our hearts be this, the joy of our God over us, his church. Now we need to proceed here and see that this amazing song is a salvation song that God is singing over us because it's rooted I said in his own being, but it's also rooted in his work of his salvation of us. And we're going to conclude our worship service tonight singing from a psalter, Salvation's joyful song is heard, where'er the righteous dwell. And the text says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, he will save. Zephaniah in this chapter is describing the salvation of the church in a different way than we would normally think. If I were to ask the catechism students, Heidelberg Catechism, essential students for sure, if I were to ask you this question, define what is meant in the Bible by salvation, define that then I trust you would say, very simply, the salvation shown us in the Scriptures is deliverance from the greatest evil, which is sin. Not injustice among men, not poverty, but sin. My sin. And it's deliverance to the highest good, which is God and his face. But when we look at, again, verses 18, 19, and 20, where Zephaniah is speaking of Jehovah's salvation of the church, we find that it's defined or it's shown in different ways. There are especially three things that Zephaniah underscores. He says that Jehovah saves his church, saves us, when he deals in judgment with the church's enemy. Verse 19, Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee. And then he goes on to say, I will gather them, I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. God saves his church when he judges 
his and our enemies. When he judges the world which maligns his church, when he judges the devil and wicked men, that's what our Belgic Confession says to us in Article 37 of the Belgic Confession that God's salvation is this at last, that we're speaking now of the church, their innocence shall be known to all, and they shall see the terrible vengeance which God shall execute upon the wicked who most cruelly persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world, and who shall be convicted by the testimony of their own consciences, and being immortal shall be tormented in that everlasting fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. God saves the church when he judges the world. He's going to, we don't take this into our hands, he's going to judge the world. He's going to judge our culture. He's going to judge the false church. He's going to judge the devil. He will save his church. Secondly, Zephaniah emphasizes that he saves the church by gathering his church through missions. Verse 20. At that time will I bring you again, even in that time that I gather you. When God gathers his church, sends forth his word from the church, and gathers through his word the church, through missions, God is saving the church. He saves the church, not just here, but he saves the church in all lands, wherever the church, the elect, are scattered in this world. As that word goes forth, God is saving the church. That's why we're so zealous. We must be zealous for missions. And then number three, God saves the church when he gives the church a name and praise among the people of the earth when he vindicates the church, when he shows that it was his church which the world persecuted, that his church represented his cause on the earth. God's salvation is when he judges our enemies, gathers his church from all the world, and vindicates and gives an eternal name and fame for his church. He saves the church. And that's why he sings over it. Well, now, how does God do this? How does God save the church? The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. How does he save us? He's in the midst of us. God stands dead center in the church. And he saves. And he gathers. And he preserves through his word. Through the offices. But he saves. But the words in the midst of thee are very suggestive of one person. In the midst of thee speaks of Jesus Christ. That is how he comes to be in the midst of his church. 
He comes to be in the midst of His church through His Son, Jesus Christ. When He is incarnate for us, when He suffers and dies upon Calvary for us, when He rises from the dead, when His Spirit is poured out upon us, He is in the midst of us. He's in the midst of us when He made a full redemption for all of our sins. He's in the midst of us when His Holy Spirit unites us to Him. And we receive our life and our strength from Him by grace through faith. He is in the midst of us. And we read, The Lord thy God who is in the midst of thee, in the midst of the church, right here, is mighty. He's mighty. That means that Jesus Christ is mighty. That God has entrusted into His hand as His glorified Son, as the head of the church. All things are in His hands in heavenly glory. All things in your life are in the hands of Him who is mighty, who controls our future. Every hour, the fulfilling of the will of God in your life and in my life, He is mighty. He will save. He will save you. He will. He will. He will save each one of his children. No matter how shamefully and how deep we fall, he will save. No matter how great the hurt and the pain, the Lord in the midst of us is mighty. And he will save the church in every hour of trial that we will face. This is God's song. This is God's message to the church, to Jerusalem, to Zion. He joys over you. He sings over you. He saves you. He's in the midst of you. Therefore, the argument of the text, fear thou not. Let not thy hands be slack. Don't fear. Anxious. Despairing. Overwhelmed. We have felt that. We have felt that way. Pastors have felt that way and are feeling that way. All of us come to feel that way. Defeated, discouraged, despondent. It's too much, we say. God says, I sing over you. Don't fear. A young man in Georgetown congregation has gone through an autoimmune disease that they can't figure out, and he's gone through sufferings, and his youthful strength and vitality has withered away, and he's seen all types of doctors and procedures, and at the end of last year, he had to go to one more, which was going to be a, a painful procedure, and as they were prepping him for this procedure, he was very much anxious and ready to say, forget this. And the technician said to him, as she noted his fears, she said to him simply the words, are you a man of faith? Are you a man of faith? And God convicted him and he said in his soul, by God's grace, Yes, I am. 
Let us not be afraid. Let us not be afraid to build up the church. Let us not be afraid of our Christian confession. Let us not be afraid to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in truth and in love. Let us not be afraid to witness of what God has given to us. Let us be busy with our Christian schools. Let us live the life of godliness. Let not our hands be slack, overwhelmed, anxious, sinking away. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. He will save thee. He will rejoice over thee. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. This song is a love song, a wedding song, the covenant song. We see that already in the formation of the text, the Lord thy God. We hear the words, I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. But this is intended as a wedding song, or at least that's the reference. The singing being referred to in the text is the singing in those days among God's people of the song heard on a wedding day. And it was sung not by the bride, but by the bridegroom. He would sing to his bride on his wedding day. He would sing to her. And he would sing not about airy nothings, but of his vows before God and his love for her in God. And the young man was not embarrassed to sing to his bride. This is what we find in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 4 and 5. Beautiful words. Thou shalt no more, Isaiah, did I, what did I say? 62, 62 verse 4. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord thy God delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so, thy, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as a bridegroom rejoiceth, singeth over his bride, so the Lord will rejoice over thee. It's a song of his love. He's not embarrassed. So do you say tonight, as a young person, as a single member of the congregation, or whoever you are, do we say, no one delights in me, no one is interested in me? Do you say concerning the hurts that have so scarred your life, I cannot be healed from these? Do we say of a future that is so dark and impossible for me? Do we say of sins that we have committed? There's no going back. There's no forgiveness. They are simply too awful. Do you say of problems that you face in your marriage? They can't be solved. God says, 
I sing over you. I will save you. I am betrothed to you. He doesn't sing in a different room. He doesn't text you a message here and there. But he speaks to you directly. And he speaks to you directly by his spirit, through his word, in the preaching of the gospel. This is biblical truth that I tell you. When the gospel is preached according to his word, he speaks. And ultimately he sings his song of grace and love and salvation. Don't be afraid. Don't despair. Don't be discouraged. Rather, let us rejoice in our God. May God give us, in this church and in our churches, the faithful preaching of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ. May we hear the sweet sounds of Jehovah's song of grace. And may we find in that sweet song unfathomable things, beautiful things. And may they drive away fear. May they give our hearts rest. And may they make our hands strong in the work that he has given us to do, abounding in his work. And may we, the church and believers, delight ourselves in God who so graciously and so marvelously delights in us. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Sanctify us through Thy truth. Give us to meditate. Meditate in this night over Jehovah's song and send us forth not in our own strength not in pride not in arrogancy not in the armor of the flesh but send us forth in humble steadfast trust adoration and praise of thee for thou art worthy of all glory and praise Amen